Welcome to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brandon Williams continues the series, In Rhythm. One of the things we believe to be on God's heart is His desire to reconcile us with Himself. God has invited us to come and sit at His table and take part in the feast He has prepared for us. So the question remains, what's stopping you? Good morning. Um, we're glad you guys are here. If, um, if you will, kind of squeeze in. If you don't mind, real quick, maybe kind of see if we got some open seats. There's some folks in the back. Um, good, Don. I don't know what, what. Oh, if you got a seat, I didn't know. I thought Don was just excited to be here. I didn't know what he was doing. If you, uh, if you got an empty seat beside you, if you want to raise your hand, people will come and uh, sit beside you. That'd be great. Man, um, real quick while we're doing that, I think we really ought to give it up for our worship team and our production team that put these videos and things together. Man, we have got some of the most talented people um, I've ever been around. We were eating uh, dinner at Mellow Mushroom uh, a couple of nights ago, and they, a lot of them were sitting at the table. And I was like, I was just looking at the creative um, uh, giftedness that was at that table, and it absolutely amazed me. I'm so thankful and blessed that they're here with us to, to help us um, do the vision that God's given us and um, reach people for the kingdom of God. Also, man, I'm so glad to be back here this week. I was gone last Sunday preaching for a friend of mine. And every time I'm gone, I I can't wait to get back because I go to other churches and I try to compare them to this church. And I haven't found anything that stacks up to it yet. I'm just going to be straight up honest with you. Just the people here, the warmth. I hope when you walked in the door, people were shaking your hand, kissing you on the forehead, all kinds of fun stuff like that. Because I I really do. I believe in this church. I believe in you guys. And I, I I believe so much in what God's doing here. And um, I miss when I'm not here. I, I, I truly miss it. And so I'm glad to be back. But PJ um, did an awesome job last week. That's Pastor John. That's his new nickname. We're calling him PJ from now on. Pastor John um, did an awesome job. He hates to be called Pastor, but we love to make him hate it. So we call him that anyway. Um, so anyway, but we're glad you're here. We're going to be talking about this in rhythm series today, hence the rhythm sticks. They, they were called boom, boom sticks online. We did not like boom, boom sticks because if you're a parent, boom, boom has an entirely different meaning than beating sticks together. So we, 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 we brought in the rhythm sticks just to do something a little different. Um, but I also want to tell you too, don't forget the baptisms. If you haven't been baptized, you made a decision for Christ. You want dedicate your life to him. The polar bear baptisms this afternoon at four o'clock. Meet right here and we'll guide you out to the frozen river. And, um, and we'll jump in and, and pray for us that we actually make it out. Okay. Um, but it will be cold, but it'll be awesome. And so come be a part of that. If you want to hear more about the vision next Friday night, 630. Um, we'd love to tell you more about that. We get pumped about it because we get to tell you about what we feel God has called us to do. Um, this in rhythm uh, series that we've been doing came from a scripture in John that says that when, uh, when they were eating at the Last Supper, Jesus was about to be betrayed and go to the cross. They were eating at the Last Supper, and John, it says, reclined at the table. Some of the translations say that he actually put his head against the, the bosom, the chest of Christ. And we always thought, or I always thought, how awesome it would be to be able to put your head to the chest of Christ because you would hear what? His heartbeat. How awesome is that? You get to hear the heartbeat of God. And so we were thinking about that, and we were praying and saying, God, what would the three things be if we were to put our ear to your heart, the top three things that you would want us to hear? And one of those was what PJ talked about last week, um, and that is that, uh, that it's the church and you guys, and that we ought to be, I mean, just absolutely out of our mind for Jesus when we consider what he's done for us, and, and we worship, and we come with passion and, um, and that fire that we just sang about. Um, today, I want to talk to you about reconciliation. 
Because I believe that one of the most important things to God is the fact that he reconciles us back to himself. Reconciliation means that you bring something into agreement, that he brings us back into agreement, that we can again come into his presence, that we can again be in a relationship with him, that that, that chasm, that, that divide that was between us and God because of sin, now we have the opportunity because of Christ to come to him. That divide, oh, excuse me, just choked. Um, that divide... Um, that, that was there because of our sin has been bridged over by Christ that we can now come to God. And so we're going to look at that. I want to read to you Ephesians 3. I'm going to read 8 through 12. Um, this has kind of our, been our theme verse because you see so clearly uh, everything that we're talking about in these verses. Paul says this, Although I'm less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, which John spoke of last week, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known, which is the clarity, which we'll talk about next week, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. And that is the reconciliation that we want to talk about this week. Now, we're going to look at this through a, a, probably a lesser-known person in the Bible. If, you, if I ask you, who's your favorite person in the Bible? Not many of you would name this guy. Actually, in the first service, when I said his name, one person was like, "Woohoo!" And they were all excited about it because they read about him. But um, the, the Bible gives him an entire chapter, so I would think he's pretty important. So we're going to look at him today. How many of you have ever heard of Mephibosheth? Mephibosheth? Yeah, everybody. See, everybody that's read about him and knows about him, they're always like, woohoo! And everybody else is like, huh? Yeah, but, but I want you to all say it with me Mephibosheth. <laughs> say it again, Mephibosheth. It's kind of like Mufasa. You just, you just want to say it, man. It's like it just rolls off your tongue, and you just want to say it over and over again. But we're going to talk about this guy, Mephibosheth, and um, his story is absolutely incredible. But I want to do something a little different. I want to tell you where Mephibosheth ended up before we look at how he got there, okay? So if you have your Bibles, you can turn them with me to 2 Samuel chapter 9. If you don't have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to bring them. We're going to use those each week. Um, so it'd be good to have. Chapter 9 of 2 Samuel. We're going to read the 13th verse. And it says, And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the, ting, the, tings, the king's table, and he was crippled in both feet. Let's pray. God, I thank you um, for your word. I thank you for the people here today, Father. I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that comes with your word and that you pour into us. Um, God, I, I pray that we would open our hearts right now, that we would receive that good word into our hearts, that it would um, sink deep in there and find good soil and produce fruit in our life. Holy Spirit, have your way here right now. Jesus, we thank you for your work on the cross and the fact that we can come to you now and feast at your table. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Anybody ever been on an all-inclusive trip, like to maybe the Bahamas or somewhere? Anybody ever been? See, we got a poor church. Ain't nobody been anywhere in this church. <laughs> well, I have one time, and, and the time that I went was after um, Susan and I got married. It's that thing called the honeymoon. And so we went. It was um, de mid-December. And so we go down to Cancun, um, down in Mexico, and, and it was all-inclusive. 
But I really didn't grasp what all-inclusive actually meant, right? I mean, it sounded good, and we paid a bunch of money for it, but I wasn't really, you know, all-inclusive. You think, well, it, it means all-included, right? But, but I hadn't really grasped, I hadn't got my mind around that thing yet. And so we fly down there, which is an experience in and of itself if you fly with Susan and I, because Susan's terrified of flying and absolutely 100% hates it. I'm terrified of flying, absolutely 100% hate it. I just can't act like it. Because if I acted like it, Susan would be like clung to the ceiling of the airplane, right? So I'm putting up a front. She's like, are you scared? I'm like, "Uh uh-uh. You know, I'm lying. And and so we make it through it. We get down there. It's mid-December here, you know. So this is, you know, it doesn't get real cold here, but it was pretty chilly. We hadn't been out in the sun. So the first thing, we we run in there. We change clothes. We run down to the pool. We're laying there. I mean, we look like Casper the Friendly Ghost laying out beside the pool. We're just staunch white. And um, this, this little guy that works at the resort comes up, and he says, Senor, can I get you something to drink? And this is several, several years ago. So this was B.C. for me. Uh, that's before Christ. And so um, I looked at him, and I said, well, I don't always drink beer, but when I do, I drink Dos Equis. And he looked back at me. And actually, actually, I didn't say that. I was like, man, if you'll bring me a Corona and a lime and then bring her a strawberry daiquiri. And Susan didn't really drink. And she kind of looked at me like, I don't even know if I want. I was like, it won't go to waste, I promise. And, and so he comes back. He comes back. And he brings, uh, brings us the, the beverages. And, um, and I reach for my wallet. And he's like, no, sir. No, no, no. You no pay. You don't pay here. He said, all included. I was like, oh. I was like, in that case, by the time you can get around that pool over there, back to that bar and get back, we'll probably need another round. And so he goes back, and, and, but, and, and that was cool. And it was, you know, and thank God, you know, laugh at that now. Thank God, um, that's not my life anymore. It was, you know, um, not all that it seems like it would be. But, but here's the cool thing about it. Um, that night, or one of the nights, I can't remember if it was the first night or the second night, we went to this dinner. And it was kind of out by the pool. And there was a grill there. I promise you, it was at least over half the size of this stage. And, and they had chicken and steak and like shrimp, every kind of meat you could imagine. And over here on the side were these things called like vegetables or something. Like that. I don't even know what they were there for because we had this huge grill of meat. And I was like, oh. I was like, I have died and gone to heaven. And so we're there and, we're, and, and I could just go up and I could get all the meat I wanted, man. And everywhere I turned that whole entire trip, that whole week, everywhere I went, there was food. And I was like, this is amazing. This is awesome. But then we had to get back on the plane and fly back to Statesboro. It was all over. We're back, you know, um, eating um, just our regular food. There was no breakfast buffet waiting on me um, anymore when I woke up in the mornings. And so it all came crashing down. But the point of the story is this. Listen, just like I went to Cancun and I was so um, underestimating the feast that was prepared for me, just like I was going and I was unsure about all that, that, that they would have for me. I, I mean, I thought I still had need my wallet. I mean, I didn't even realize as long as I was on the resort, I didn't even need my wallet. Anything I wanted pretty much, they were like, here, you can have it, right? And so I underestimated that. And I think as Christians, sometimes we underestimate what God has done for us. Sometimes as Christians, I think we underestimate the feast that God has prepared for us, for us to be nourished and fed, for us to to have life here and now, not just into eternity. And so that's what I want us to see. By the end of the day, you walk out of here, I want you to understand something, that God has prepared an incredible feast for you, that God has prepared a table for you. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, you are now invited to come and sit at his table. That's good. That is awesome. Um, I hope you'll be more excited about that by the end than you are right now. 
But it is absolutely incredible that God has invited us to this feast. Now, here's where Mephibosheth is. He is sitting at the king's table. The Bible tells us that he ate at the king's table from there on. There was never a time when Mephibosheth wasn't allowed to come and eat at the king's table. But I want us to look today a little bit about how he got there. And if you will, um, 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1 says this. David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul? to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake. Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They called him to, come, to appear before David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba, your servant? He replied. The king asked, Is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? See, here's the thing that I want you to see first. David's coming, and he wants to show people something that that's not the, the, the kindness that you and I would typically show. It says very clearly that he wants to show God's kindness. The literal translation of that is the faithfulness of a covenant. See, Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan. Jonathan was David's best friend. They had made a covenant way back in 1 Samuel chapter 20. And, and what they said was, listen, as long as, as you're the king, Jonathan said, take care of my family. And this is cool because David's remembering this and he's saying, listen, I want to find somebody of the house of Saul. Anybody remember Saul in the Bible? He tried to kill David, right? If, if I'm David, I don't think I'm looking for his family so I can bless him. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the dude threw spears at him. He tried to kill him. David let him off the hook a couple of times. He still kept trying to kill him. But David's going, I want to show the kindness of God. I want to show the kindness of God to a son of somebody who's left of Saul's household. And so Ziba comes and he's like, all right, well, there's this one guy. There's this one guy. And so David begins to look and see, here's the thing we've got to recognize. God's kindness is not like our kindness. Aren't you glad of that? Anybody glad God's kindness isn't like our kindness? I am. Because here's the thing. It would be bad news if God woke up like on a Tuesday morning with a headache and was like, I don't even feel like dealing with them kids. I do not even feel like going there today. And he's just like, I'll I tell you what, I'm, and he just wipes out everybody. That's not God's kindness. That's how we are. I mean, we wake up and, and it's like you, you may have a, a spouse, you may have a roommate, somebody at work, and you walk in and, 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 and you're just like, will you stop it? And they're like, what? Breathing. It's just annoying, man. Why do you have to do that? Why do you have to breathe so much? And, and because you're just having a bad day. You're just irritable. And here's the good thing about, about God is, is God doesn't like have bad days, right? I mean, it's like a good thing that when he's up there, his kindness is not based off of like what ours would be, our feelings or what somebody's done for us. And so David says, listen, I want to show the kindness of God. I want to show this kindness. This would have been weird. Man, think about it, because usually when a king came into power, he wanted to kill everybody in the former king's king, um, part of his family because he didn't want them rebelling and coming against him. But David's inquiring. I mean, this would be like Barack Obama saying, is there anybody from the household of George Bush that I could bless, that I could show God's kindness to? That ain't happening. And so here's the thing. It was just weird to them. But you know, the love of God is a strange thing. If you resist the love of God because you can't understand it, you'll never accept it. Because it does not make sense. You have no good example around you day in and day out of the kind of love that God has for you. You can't fathom the love of God that is there and is consistent. The kindness of God that is there and is consistent. And as many times as we've turned our back and walked away from him, he's still left room for us to turn around and come back to him. That's a good God. You ought to grab your little thunder sticks and be booming them things together for a God like that. 
That's a good God. What are boom, boom sticks? Whatever they are. That's a good God that, that doesn't give us back what we give to others, but that showers us with love and mercy and grace and leaves room for us even when we have walked away from him to come back to him. That is the kindness that David is wanting to show. Here's the other thing that's really cool. At the point that David makes this request, he is at the pinnacle of his career. He, is, he has got a united uh, kingdom. He is, um, he is there, he is, uh, he is at the pinnacle of his career in that things are going well. I mean, every battle he goes to, he's, he's kicking butt and taking names. I mean, they're just destroying people left and right. It's awesome, man. It's like gladiator all over again. It's cool. I mean, they're just fighting, winning, fighting, winning, fighting, winning. And then he comes to this pinnacle point. If you read two chapters over, Bathsheba happens. He has the affair and everything starts spiraling out of control. This is the pinnacle of his career. Do you think David might have had a few things on his plate? Do you think that David, how many of you are busy? Anybody busy in here? It's always funny when I ask that question and like a middle schooler raises their hand. It's like, man, I'm so busy. I don't know if I'm going to make it, you know? And, um, but, but, and it's true. It's true. We're busy. We just kind of know a different level of busyness. And so there's not really anybody in here that I would ask you and say, would you like to have one more thing on your plate to do? And you'd be like, yeah, I need that because I was just thinking the other day, I never have anything to do. You wouldn't do that. And here David is, he's got his kingdom and I'm sure there were duties. And yet he's looking for this person who's from the household of Saul that I can show God's kindness. Now, isn't it cool as you begin to think about David as the king of Israel and you think about Jesus as the king of kings, isn't it cool that the king never gets too busy for you? Isn't it awesome that the king, even in the big, you think God's got a few things on his plate? I mean, he's like, dang, another star fell. I mean, there's just all kinds of stuff going on, right? He's got to keep the sun. He's got to keep the sun. You know, it's, it's right there. And he's got to keep the earth. You know, he's got some things on his plate. Our day, our day planner is like eight to 10 hours. His is like 24, you know, all the time. And it's like God, though, he never, he never gets too tired for us. He never wearies of us. He never quits extending his kindness to us. And David, in the midst of his kingdom, in the midst of all the duties that he had to perform, he looks at, he looks at uh, his life and he goes, I need to keep my covenant. I need to keep my promise. And that's what's so awesome about God is in the midst of everything that God's got going on, he hasn't forgotten about you. In the midst of the circumstances that you're going through and the, the things that are worrying your mind, God has not forgotten you. God is still there. He's still real. He's still alive. And his hand is still on your life. Are you going to trust him with his hand on your life? Because it's there. It's very real. And he's never too busy for us. The bad thing about it, guys, is this. When we get busy, what's the first thing that goes out of our life? God. God. It's always God. And yet God is there and he is steady and his love endures forever and it continues on. And, and yet when we turn our back on him, he's like, well, I'm still here. I'm not going anywhere. Where are you going? And see, here's the thing that I want you to understand. God has prepared this incredible feast and David's about to invite Mephibosheth to this feast, 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 feast. Man, God has prepared this thing for you, but it's your move. Are you going to pull up a chair to the table and eat? Or are you just going to let it go to waste? Are you going to let it go to waste? Listen to this. Let's keep moving on. This is really cool to me. All right, it says in verse 3, it says, The king asked, Is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, 
There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Makur, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Makur, son of Amiel. Now listen to this. Two times in this scripture, it brings out the fact that he was crippled in his feet. Now, what's the big deal about that? What's the big deal that this guy was crippled? To you and I, it'd probably be a reason to bring him into our house, right? This poor guy, he can't work. He can't take care of himself. Let's just bring him in and take care of him. And that would be our way of looking at it. But this is a totally different culture. If you look over in Leviticus chapter 21 and beginning in verse 16, Leviticus was kind of like the rules that the Jews lived by. The Israelites would live by these rules. And and these were the things that, that God had laid out for them to follow. But listen to this. And I hope you'll start seeing this parallel to what Christ has done for us and what David did for Mephibosheth. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, For the generations to come, none of your descendants who has, has a defect may come near to offer the food of his God. No man who has any defect may come near. No man who is blind or lame, disfigured or deformed, no man who is crippled, um, foot or hand, or who is hunchbacked or a dwarf, or who has an eye defect, or who has festering or running sores, or damaged testicles, no descendant of Aaron, the priest, who has any defect, is to come near to present the offerings made to the Lord by fire. He has a defect. He must not come near to offer the food of his God. He may eat the most holy food of his God, as well as the holy food, yet because of his defect, he must not go near the curtain or approach the altar. Listen to that. He must not go near the curtain or approach the altar, and so desecrate my sanctuary. I am the Lord who makes them holy. See, here's the awesome thing about this. According to Jewish law, if you had any kind of defect, if your hand was messed up, you had a scab on your, you fell off your skateboard and skinned your elbow, you know, whatever it might have been, you, you had messed up feet, you had all anything wrong with you. According to the Jewish rules and their law, you could not go into the presence of God. And the crazy thing was there was only one person who was allowed to go behind what they called the curtain. It was between them and the Holy of Holies. And one time, once a year, one person who was without defect, right, as if that existed, and he was able to go behind the curtain to present the sacrifice. It was on the Day of Atonement, which means reconciliation, which means bringing people back to agreement with God. And so there was only one time, once a year, that one man could go behind a curtain and be in the presence of God. And if you had any defect, you couldn't be the one to go. Is anybody in here qualified? to be able to go behind the curtain. No, not one person in here is qualified because I guarantee you the best front and the best face you put on does not stack up to a holy God. The, most, the best way you try to clean up your life is not gonna make you presentable to a holy God. And here's the thing, none of them were really sufficient to go before a holy God. But listen to this. This is awesome. This is the good news. Look in Mark. Yeah, it's in here. Mark chapter 15, verse 37. Jesus is on the cross. He's about to die. It says, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. It says, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. 
that curtain we just talked about that separated everybody from the presence of God, that kept everybody who was without defect from coming into the presence of God. When Jesus died on the cross, and like PJ said last week, when that curtain was torn from top to bottom, and, 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 he's, and Jesus cries out, it is finished, and Satan's fate was sealed, he meant what he said. It was done. The curtain was torn so that now you and I who are defective, if you think you have no defect, ask your friends, ask your wife, ask your roommate. You are defective. Now that we all who are defective have been cleansed by the sacrifice of Jesus because he who was perfect died and went into the Holy of Holies for us, made a way for us to come to him. Now you and I can go into the presence of God, not on our own merit, but on the merit of Christ. That's good news, that you can be in fellowship, reconciled to a holy God, not because of anything you did, but because of what he did, that he tore the curtain and made a way for you to be able to go into the presence of God. The only way that God could have done it was was to righteous the unrighteous. And so he had to do that through sending his son who was perfect, who died on a cross for us that we could become the righteousness of God. And so now you and I have access into that place, into into his presence, into a relationship with him. See, it says the man was crippled twice because I think that, that there's this foreshadowing that's taking place where David and God through David is trying to get this point across and saying, listen to me, he was a crippled man. He was considered cursed by the Jews. They would have been wondering who sinned, him or his parents. And yet Jesus, David comes and says, I want him to come sit at my table. I want him to have a place at my table forever, forever. And so listen to this. It goes on in verse six. Over, back over in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 6. It says, When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to him to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied. Listen to this. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul. And you will always eat at my table. Now, here's the deal. Mephibosheth thought, I'm about to get what's coming to me. He was about 70 miles or so away from Jerusalem, um, over across the Jordan River. Um, He's in Lodabar. And then this servant Ziba comes and he's like, man, the king says he wants to bless you, but I don't know, you might be about to die. He said, but he told me to come get you. I'm not dying, you're going with me. And so he takes him back. He walks into the presence of the king and you know he was flipping out. You know he was wigging out going, what is this guy about to do to me? Is he going to kill me? What is he about to do? And David's first words were, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. The first thing he does is tries to ease the fear that he has. I don't know, have you ever been in a situation where you just felt like any moment now, I'm going to get it. Or you've been in a situation where I know in school sometimes I would sit there and I knew I did something that I shouldn't have done and I'm waiting on that that little intercom thing to go off and then like, beep, you know. Can you send Brandon Williams to the principal's office, please? Like, I remember I was about, when I was 16 years old, I hadn't been 16 very long. I'd finally gotten a car. I mean, this is um, my first car. We called it the Grey Ghost. It was 1983 Honda Accord. It was awesome. Um, and I was driving. We left R.J. Stakery, Susan and I, because we have been dating since, um, like, Jesus walked the earth. And so... We leave R.J. Stakery right up here on Main Street, and we pull out, and there's where Car City is. There used to be a gas station 
right there. I, I believe it was right. It was right there in that, that area somewhere. And so we're coming out and we're riding down the road. We were going to a birthday party. We realized we we're going the wrong direction. And so um, I was going to whip into the little filling station, turn around. And it was at that, that point of night where it's kind of dark and you can see, but you can't see. It's like dusk, you know, and, and everything kind of almost looks the same color. And you can't really see very well. And so we're, we're going to whip in there and turn around. The only problem was that when I started turning into the gas station, I didn't see the guy on the bicycle next to me. So, this is true. This is this like really, really happened. Susan's riding along. All of a sudden, I start to turn. This guy slams into the side of my pristine 1983 Honda Accord. Smacks into the side of it. And Susan, you know, she's like, ah, because this guy's head's like up against her. He's, he's trying to ride the bicycle. And, and then, and, and I'm like freaking out. And we're both like, ah. And so, because I was in my, my right mind and because I stay cool under pressure, I gradually slowed down and came to a halt. No, I slammed on brakes, man. I was like, Arr! and this guy's like slingshots off. And I was, I was freaking out. He's like slingshots off of my car and then he falls and he had those pedals that you lock your feet into. And um, he was like a serious biker. And so he comes off of the car. He's sliding, you know, laying down on the bike. And then, I mean, I didn't even know. I didn't know what was going to happen. He gets up and he's like got his bicycle picking it up. I was expecting him to turn green anytime because he was like, oh, man, he was buff. I was like, he's going to kill me. And so I'm sitting there and I looked at Susan. I remember this and say, I said, Susan, if I get out right now, he's gonna, we're going to have a fight. And I was like, I was looking at him and like I could see all the muscles like rippling in his arms and stuff. I was like, I don't want that to happen. He'll kill me. <laughs> And so I'm sitting there, and um, finally this guy comes pulling up into the filling station. I'm like, maybe he'll offer me some comfort. Because I was freaking out, man. I was like, I don't ever want to drive again. I was so scared. And a guy pulls up in there, and he gets out, and he's giving me an attitude. He's like, I don't know how you hit this guy on the bicycle. I was like, it was pretty easy. I just turned the car. And, you know. <laughs> and, and then he was, like, but he was giving me this big-time attitude. And he's like, you need to make sure he gets to the hospital. You need to take care of him. I'm like, okay, man, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to hear you. And I'm like crying. And then, the, and then he's like, you need, to, you need to use a phone. I got a cell phone in my car. And I was like, cell phone? What's a cell phone? And this is like years ago, right? And so I go over there, and he's got a bag phone in his car. This is how long ago this was. And I get it out, and it was like talking on a walkie-talkie. It was like, <laughs> and, um, and so I called my dad. I was like, Dad, I hit this guy on a bicycle. I don't know what. He's like, well, I'll be there in a minute. So he comes down there, and the police get there. And, I'm, and, and then this guy's all mad. He's like, you're going to have to fix this. You're going to have to fix this. You're going to have to fix this. All this is broken. You're gonna... I'm like, okay, man, I'm, 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 I'll fix it. Just don't kill me. And so we go down to the police station, and we're down there. And I'm, you, know, you get all nervous when, stuff, when you think you killed somebody. You tend to get nervous. And, and so I'm shaking. I'm all nervous. And then, um, but my dad was there. That made me feel a lot better, you know. But I'm standing there, and... They come out and they had this, this book, I guess it was like with all the different codes and laws and things. And they're looking at the different things and you can kind of hear them. And they're kind of like, well, we can get them for this or that. And I was like, my gosh, they're going to throw them. I'm going away for life. It was an accident. And then the coolest thing was like, I'm standing right here with my dad. They're standing over here and he's standing over there. He's still mad. He's like, dude, you're going to have to pay for all this stuff. I'm like, okay, get over it. It's a bicycle. And then, so they come out with, a, um, with their book and they walk, not to me, but they walk to him and they're like, we're going to charge you for riding on the sidewalk, for not having deflectors on your bike. And they start throwing all these charges at him. I mean, it was absolutely crazy. And I thought I was the one that was going to be charged for. It. I thought that I was the one that was about to get the book thrown at me. Right. And I was already freaking out, but he, um, he ends up being the one that gets charged. And if I had it to do over again, you know, hindsight's 2020, I would have been like, you told you, man, I'd have been all up in his face. 
but I was scared. I mean, I was scared out of my mind. If I acted like I was being tough, I would be lying because I was about to just like, you know, lose all bodily fun. It was bad. It was bad. And so, but, but we, um, we ended up leaving and I was thinking about that. Um, actually it was like, God just put that in my heart this morning because this is the thing I think we do. This is how I think we come to God. I think more people come to God expecting him to punish us than we come to God expecting him to deliver us. We come to God looking for him to throw the book at us rather than looking for him to pick us up out of our issues. We look for him to hold our issues against us rather than saying, I know how to deal with these. All of these things were put upon me when I died on the cross for you. I can handle this if you'll let me. But we come to him thinking he would rather punish us than deliver us. Isn't that crazy? How we, do you, listen, God's pretty big. If he wanted to kill you, he would have done it a long time ago. Right? If he just wanted to punish you, it would have already happened. His intent is to save you, not kill you. If we can ever have a change of mind in that and realize just like Mephibosheth, man, when he walks in, you know he's thinking, I am done for. He's going to kill me. He's going to finally rid the earth of Saul's family. And David ends up blessing. He brings him. Listen, I know that, that McCurr, you can study it. McCurr was this guy. I don't even know that's how you say it. It sounds right. You kind of have to say it. Well, McCurr. Um, but he was this guy, he was a wealthy man and he lived in Lodabar. But here's the truth of this. He was a wealthy man. He was providing for the needs of, 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 of that guy, Mephibosheth. He was providing for his needs. But here's the truth of it. Lodabar was in the wilderness. It was across the Jordan River, which if you look at symbolically means this. You can have every material need that you have met and still be in the wilderness. You can have every possible thing you could think of being met and still be lost as a ball in high weeds. You can have everything that you think you need and those needs met and still find yourself across the river, which actually represents the promise of God. And I wonder how many of us are still, I mean, we've, we've, we've made this thing where I love God and I'm going to live for God, but there's still part of us that's clinging to the world going, satisfy me. And it's never going to satisfy. It's never going to satisfy. And we have the offer of the king of kings who says, now pull up a chair at my table and eat until you can't eat anymore. That's pretty cool. That's a good God that would come and make a chair, an empty place for us at a table when we know good and well we're crippled and we don't deserve it, that we're defective. Listen to this, verse 8. It says, Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant? that you should notice a dead dog like me. I mean, here's this guy, he's crippled. He's never been able to do anything for himself. And he's standing before the king, and the king says, you come to my table. And can you imagine? He's like, I, I'm a dead dog to you, man. I, I'm a loser. I, there's, there's nothing about me that deserves to sit at your table. I believe that there are a lot of people out there on the, the flip side who, who don't realize the love of God yet. You're still serving out of guilt and, 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 and shame. And you have yet to come to a place where you realize that Jesus died for that guilt and that shame. He died to separate you from the past. You're still clinging. And I'm going to tell you the truth. A lot of times in marriages, one of the things that I see is that the, the one person would love to leave the past behind, but the other one keeps bringing it back up. Listen, if he or she has become a new creature in Christ, let them be a new creature in Christ. 
If you got friends that keep wanting to drag you back to the past and where you screwed up and all the things you did wrong, you need to cut them loose. Bottom line, if you're in a relationship and everything's going wrong because you're running after Christ and he's not, lose the loser. If she's doing the same, the other opposite, whoever, go after Christ. Realize that your past has been severed when you receive Jesus. You, you get a new slate. You get a new life. Are you going to live that way? Like God has given you new life. Like he's given you new spiritual feet that you can walk with. I was out at Mill Creek running one day this week, trying to run. It gets harder and harder. The more French fries I eat, I cannot run. I, 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 I don't know why that is, but for some reason, um, fried potatoes does not help me in my cardiovascular exercise. But I get out of my truck and I'm putting my iPod on, which if you pull it really tight, makes your arms look bigger. So um, I like to pull it really tight, makes my arms bulge out, even though I have to run because my arm goes to sleep, I run like this. Um, But it makes my muscle look bigger. So I'll pull it really tight. I get out and this girl, and I don't know, I was was thinking about this, I was like, well, she goes to church here. She's gonna so laugh at me. But this girl comes running by. And, you know, I'm getting older, and I can't run like I used to, but I'm still kind of trying to be competitive. And so she runs by, and I'm like, I'm passing her. <laughs> and so I'm getting ready. I'm kind of getting loose. I'm stretching out a little bit, shaking out my legs, and I'm like, I'm passing her. And so I let her get a little head start, and I'm like, all right, here we go. And so I take off, and I start out running. And it took me about a quarter mile to maybe a half mile, but I eventually got up next to her. I didn't want to gloat. I didn't want to be like, (laughs) you know, as I ran by. But I I got up beside her and I eventually passed her. And I know she heard my feet coming because I run like an elephant, man. It's like that right there. I know she heard me coming. And so I passed her and I was like, yeah, like get some. You know, I was was just running. And then then as I'm going, I had this this terrible realization. Now I got to stay ahead of her. I was like, oh, and so I made it maybe like another mile, right? And I'm going and I'm running as hard as I can. And I'm like, I don't know if I can. And every time I go around the curve, I didn't want to be like looking over my shoulder because they don't want to give away this um, dream of um, competition that I had just made up in my mind that she has no clue about. And so um, I didn't want to look over. So I just kind of glanced out of the corner of my eye and see if she was behind me. And then, so I kind of forgot about her. But then I'm running and probably about a mile and a half or so in, all of a sudden I hear... And it startled me, man. I was just listening to my iPod and all of a sudden I hear, I'm like, whoa. And I realized it was her and I was like, oh, I got to speed it up. And so I start trying to pick it up a little bit. And I know if you've ever done any physical exercise, you just get to that point where you don't have anything left in the tank. And I was at that point and I'm just trying to go and I'm just like, I can't make it. I can't make it. I can't make it. And so I finally just kind of start slowing down and here she comes just with her nice little pace, just right on by, you know, and I was like, gum. And then she turns off and going a different way. And I was like, yeah, that's what I thought. You didn't want me to come back and pass you. And, but I was dying, and I thought about this. This is crazy, but in the middle of my run, as I'm going around the, the, the track there at Mill Creek, in the middle of my run, this just kind of dropped in my heart. It just popped in my mind. It was like I heard God say, you know how many people run from their past like you're running from this girl? Do you know how many people their past is, is the past? But they keep bringing it up to their present and they, and they keep running and trying to get away from it and, and because they hear footsteps of what they did in the past and what's going on in their life and they don't think they'll ever get away from it. But see, that's what Jesus did for us. That's what Jesus did for us is he severed that. Get out of the guilt and shame. Realize that God loves you. Realize that, that Jesus died on the cross for you to reconcile you, to give you a new life so that you could come out of your past, out of the wounds, so that you could become whole and so that you could begin to live a life that resembles that of Christ. 
Don't let the past hold you back. Throw that off and run the race that Christ has laid out for you. Listen to this, verses 9 through 11. That's what time we got. 9 through 11. Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth's, grand, Mephibosheth's grandson of your master will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever, whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. See, this is the thing we need to realize is that Jesus did something for us. Just like King David did something for Mephibosheth, he couldn't do for himself. King David brought him into the table, made a place for him. He could have never earned that. He could have never deserved that. Jesus did the same thing for us. He did the same thing for us. He brought us to the table that he's prepared for us, that we can eat from it and be fed and be nourished. He's brought us to it. And we could have never done that on our own. And here's the other day I was in the, I like to do woodwork. Anybody like to do woodwork? Like I like to build things. I like to take nothing and make it something, even though that something's usually not really that good. Um, but I enjoy doing it. And so I'm out in the yard and, and, and I've got all these different tools and um, I was stacking some wood for our fireplace and, and um, I look over and Jackson's wanting to build something. So I give him my DeWalt power drill. Um, he's four. And um, <laughs> don't judge me because I let my children play with power tools. And um, so he had a screw and he had the drill. And um, if my wife had been out there, she would have been freaking. I'm just like, he's got this. You know, he, he's got to grow up sometime. And so... <laughs> He's got the drill, and um, he's over there, and he's trying. I'm stacking wood and kind of watching him because I want to make sure he didn't do anything dumb with it, you know, and get hurt. And so I am, I'm watching him, but he's over there. He's trying to get this screw into this piece of wood. And for like 10, 15 minutes, he's just like, uh, you know, getting frustrated and trying to get this screw in this wood and trying to get all this stuff done. And, and, and he kept dropping it, and, and the screw would fall over. And, and, and then finally, and I'm just sitting there watching him. Finally, he comes up to me, pulls on his shirt, and he's like, Dada. That's what he calls me. Dada. He says, uh, can you come help me with this? I'm like, yeah, I'll help you. And so I go over, I take the drill, I take the screw, I put it in a little ways. I say, okay, son, um, now you do it. And so I hold the, the drill in place. He pulls the trigger. He runs the screw into the wood and bam, he's put the screw in, right? And I was thinking about that and I was like, you know, how much is our life like that? That we keep trying to do what we can't do for ourselves and we won't go and take our father's hand and let him do the things for us that we can't do for ourselves. We continue to try to live in this place of, of righteousness and rules-based religion where we put on a good show for everybody, but we never really enter into a relationship that leads us to the life change that we so desperately wish would happen in, in our lives because we're missing the point. And see, here's the cool thing is that we have a God did for us what nobody else could do. We have a God who did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. We have the opportunity to take the hand of Christ and be led into the presence of God to be in a relationship that will change your life. My question to you today is, is your chair empty at the feast? Is your chair empty? Look, this is uh, coming to a close, but I want to read to you real quick. Luke chapter 14. Begin in verse 12. Verse 12, it says, Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your, your brothers or relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, 
and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The Jews understood that at some point when the Messiah came, there would be this wedding feast, this, this re- reuniting of, of God and his people, and there would be a huge feast. And he said, listen, when you have a banquet, invite those who normally wouldn't be invited. Invite those who wouldn't normally come and show God's love in this way. And then when you get to the resurrection, you'll be, you'll be able to be rewarded um, in that feast. But listen to this, and, and here's, this is a super spiritual guy. Anybody know a super spiritual guy? The guy that's like superior to everybody else and he knows everything. And, and, and this is a super spiritual guy who responds. Jesus just said this really profound thing. And then in verse 15, it says, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. I know this had to be like an awkward moment for everybody. Because you ever been in that place where you're sitting around the table and then somebody just says something, you're like, dang, I wouldn't have said that. In fact, I wish you hadn't have said that because that makes me uncomfortable. And I know everybody sitting around the table was like, oh, gosh, super spiritual guy. This is the guy who like spoke King James before King James was born, right? He was like, thou art thine and thee art thee and, and all those different things. And so this is that guy. And so Jesus, you can almost see him sitting there going, no wonder nobody wants to follow me. You're killing me here. And so then Jesus replies with this. He says, says, Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. He's saying, come on, everything is now ready. So Jesus responds to this remark about a future banquet, a future feast by saying, everything's ready now. I have prepared it. And the question comes again, what are you going to do with it? Is your chair empty? Because it's your move. It's your opportunity. What is keeping you from the feast that Christ has prepared for you? And then it goes on and listen to this. It says, but they all alike began to make excuses. I know none of y'all do that. Um, it's, nobody makes excuses in our culture. Um, everybody owns up to their responsibility and does exactly what they're supposed to Repentance is the way we live. Um, It says, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered the servant, go out Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. So he sends them out to begin to find whoever it is that would come and eat at this feast. But all the people he had invited began to make excuses. You know, you've been invited to a feast. And my question is, what, what, what's the excuse that's holding you back? Because the bottom line is, and we could go in and look at what all these different excuses mean. The only one that I think might have some validity to it is the man that got married. He's like, I can't go. He's like, the bottom line is, I'm married. It ain't happening. You know, I think Jesus probably, okay, cool. I, I get that. Um, but, but here's the deal. That was a joke. Don't, like, get all angry. Oh, you know, you don't like women. I do like women. I'm married to one. And so the, here's the deal. Whatever the excuse is, it's just lame. When you compare the opportunity to come to the wedding feast and feast at the, 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 the banquet that Christ has prepared for us, anything that we'd say comes before that is just lame. It's absolutely lame. Real quick, I want to tell you some of the things that I believe keeps us from the feast. The first one is this, our pride. Because there's two sides of this that, that I'm beginning to see. The first one is this. 
there's a person that says, I'm okay without Christ. And I'm just gonna be real honest with you. I think that makes you or us, whoever feels that way, a real like arrogant bigot. Because the definition of bigot is somebody who feels that they're like super superior to everybody else. And not only are you telling us who all have come to Christ realizing our dysfunction and our defectiveness that you're a bigot, but you're also telling God and looking God in the face and slapping him in the face and saying, I don't need the sacrifice that you made for me. And so there's pride. Pride keeps us from coming. There's also the flip side of that. And this is where I think I fall in. Because I believe that insecurity is is a sign of pride. I believe that people who think, uh, you know, I can't do it. I'm not worthy. I can't do it. Eventually we need to move on. And I say we. Eventually we need to realize it's not about us, right? Because pride is not just about being arrogant. Pride is when everything's about you. And I know for me, man, if I can ever get my eyes off of me and put them on Christ and keep them there, how much better off would I be? How much better off would you be if you quit worrying about everything else around you and just locked your eyes on Jesus? How much better would our life, how much emotional energy do you spend worrying about what other people think about you? How much sleep do I lose worrying about what you think about me? I'll go home and analyze this sermon backwards and forwards going, I can't believe I said that. Why did I say that about women? No, they all hate me. I'll be, I'll, I'll, I'll be going all through all of that stuff. And we got to get to a point where we realize, man, that's just pride. And we need to leave that behind. The next one is this, our laziness. Our laziness. I believe this with all my heart, man. I believe this, and, and if you, you take this the wrong way, I'm sorry, but I don't believe my job's to feed you. I believe my job's to point you to the table. It ain't my feast, it's God's feast. And I know you always hear people say, well, I'm not getting fed, and I do realize there may be a time when the pastor hadn't eaten at the table so long that he can't point you to the table. I understand that, I get that. Because I get there sometime myself. I don't know if I can find my way to the dining room. And I have to go back and get on my knees and repent and come back to God. But you know what you never hear um, um, people say who are at the table? Is I'm not getting fed. Man, that don't work at my house. How's that going to work with God? If I sit down at the table and say, Susan, I'm not getting fed. Could you feed me? I'm going to end up with a black eye. She is not going to put up with that. She's not going to feed me. I remember we went and ate at a place in Waynesboro. Don't go there, um, Bird Dog Cafe. Bird Dog Cafe was great, Waynesboro. Um, we lived there for a year and a half. Um, I know one day God's going like, to call us to plant a church in Waynesboro or something because I always talk so bad about it. I will rebel or have to repent. But, um, but we were eating and we had, he brought me this ribeye steak. And I remember I took a bite of that. I cut in that steak and I took a big bite of it. And, and like loudly in the restroom, I was like, oh my gosh, that's a good steak. And Susan's like, what's wrong with you? I was like, this is the best steak I've ever had. And here's the thing that I know is if, if I bring um, a steak and I set it down in front of you, I don't have to tell you how to eat that thing. I don't have to tell you, you know, that, 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 that you ought to eat this steak. You're going to look at it. And if I don't even give you a fork and a knife, you're probably going to figure out some way to get that thing in your belly. The word and prayer and all of that is the same way. Listen, God has, has prepared a feast for us, but so many of us are starving because we won't pick the stuff up and eat it. We won't pull up a chair and, and sit down at the feast and begin to eat on what God's given us. I remember we went to a fancy restaurant when I was probably 12, 10 or 12 years old. We went skiing and we went to this place. It was called Good Time Bobby's. 
up there at uh, Snowshoe, West Virginia. And we were up there and we were eating. And it was one of these places that had like 14 forks and 15 knives and all kind of cups. And I don't even know if I put my napkin in my lap. I was like, I got a sleeve. What do I want a napkin for? And, and we, I didn't know what to do with all that stuff. I didn't know what to do with it. But you know what? I didn't go hungry. When the food came, I was like, Mom, Dad, you know what they're like? I don't know, son. Just go, guess. You know, just grab something. And they were kind of helping. They kind of knew. But, but I didn't know for sure. But I knew one thing. That was some expensive food, and it was going in my belly. And so I ate it. I didn't let this confusion of how do I eat it get in the way. I just started picking it up and eating it. And we need to do the same thing. God has laid this stuff out, and even if we don't understand it, God is not worried about you getting it perfect. God is worried about you coming into a place of fellowship with him and eating the feast that he's prepared for you, pulling your chair up at his table and beginning to eat with Jesus. Listen. The next one that I believe we fall into is, is just fear. I'm just going to be real quick with this one, man. You're afraid because you're like, if I come to Christ, I'm going to have to give up my whole life. I want to help you understand this. You will have to give up your whole life. You will. Does it make you some kind of non-human? No, it makes you understand what being human is. Jesus is not anti-humanity. Jesus is the expression of humanity of what we were supposed to be. We get to become what we were intended in the first place. How can fear keep you from becoming what you were designed to be in the first place? The next one is busyness. I went to vote the other day. I don't know if you've ever been like, I was running frantic all day. I went in there and I was like, all right, just give me my little yellow card so I can go punch it in the machine, vote and get out of here. And there was this guy and it was like, I don't know, like the voice of like Charlton Heston or something came out of this, this old man sitting behind the table. And I was like, all right, just give me my stuff. And he looks at me and he's like, just sit down. And I found myself doing it. I was like, okay. <laughs> and so I sat down and, and I had on like my running clothes and he was like, have you been running? I was like, he is God. And, um, but it was so cool. Come to find out this guy was a bivocational preacher and he was like, just, just sit down. And so I sat down and, and, and he, he was like soothing. And I was like, it's like he put me into this little daze or something. It was so cool. And so, but it, it made me realize just how busy I am. You know, and the thing about it is sometimes we get so busy, you can go through your entire day and forget to eat. We do that with God all the time, don't we? We go through our entire day, we get to the end of the night, and we're like, oh yeah, I need to pray. Come on now, we can do better than that. We're better than that. We're better than that. We can do so much better than this, okay, whatever. You know, I'll get to the end of my day and I'll pray. The one thing I never hear people say is like, um, we got so busy, I couldn't get little Zeke to his ball game. You ever heard that? I've never heard that in my life. I have never heard that in my life. But you'll break your neck to get your children to the ball game 30 minutes early so that a five-year-old can stretch muscles he doesn't have any clue. He, ha- he doesn't have any clue that it actually exists, right? But then we just kind of show up for God whenever. Man, I'm not saying that to condemn or to make you feel guilty. I'm saying that maybe if that's the case, we just need to look at our priorities. Maybe they've gotten out of whack. The last one is this, that we just take it for granted. That we just just begin to take it for granted. I remember the first time Susan left me alone with with a baby. And, you know, he was like four, but still, it was earlier than that. But I was so nervous about having a newborn baby and, and all of these things and and she left, and boy, it brought back this appreciation of, of who she was and what she did for us and our family. And I know with this third one coming, I'm like, oh, my gosh. You know, this is, we're about to go back through this whole thing, and I'm excited and nervous all at the same time because I'm like, I don't do well on two hours sleep. And uh, she, she functions somehow because she's, she's awesome, and she's a trooper through it all. But, 
But man, when she left me the first time, I remember I didn't sleep all night because I laid there thinking that baby's going to wake up sometime. I really seriously did. I laid there and I couldn't sleep because I was thinking that baby's going to wake up and she's not here to go get it. And, and I started appreciating so much more what she did for me. And listen, guys, you got to realize what Jesus did for you on the cross. He's invited you to this feast to come and sit down with him and to eat from the table, to, to be nourished, not to go around, um, you know, with our lips poked out, tripping over our lips. And, 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 to live, and I'm talking to me. Listen, if I needed to preach a message to me, if this don't help you at all, it helped me this week as I was going through it and praying through it. Because we don't have to walk around like that. We can have life and we can be spiritually fed and we can be encouraged. And today, I mean, listen, this, we're going to go a little bit over today, but oops. Um, but we're about to come right now in just a moment to take communion. And, and listen, as, as you come and take communion, you're, you are literally invited today to the table of God. You are invited today to feast at God's table. I want you to ask yourself, is my chair empty? And if it is, listen, it's your move to come to the table. We're going to take a time just uh, for you to ask yourself that question. I'm going to ask Bethany and um, them to come. They're going to sing a song uh, during communion. But just take a moment and begin to allow God to look into your heart. The Bible says that on the night in which Jesus gave himself up for us, the night that he was betrayed by Judas, and as he was getting ready to go to the cross, it says that he took bread, and he broke the bread, and he gave, gave it to his disciples. And he said, take and eat. This is my body that was given for you. He also took the cup, and he says, this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Listen, as you come and take communion today, you come and take it understanding that it is because of what Christ did on the cross that you can come to the table. That you have forgiveness of sins, that you have the promise of life here and ever after.